Morning, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate that. Welcome back for week two of this 21-day journey of prayer and fasting that we as a church have decided to undertake together. Now, for those of you who were out last week, it's okay, no big deal, you can catch up, but what I hope you can begin to understand is that the, the purpose of this journey of prayer and fasting is not some sort of religious exercise to make ourselves seem more spiritual. It's not some quid pro quo arrangement between us and God in order to get Him to do what we want Him to do. The purpose of this journey together is to not only seek God, but to see a breakthrough from God. To see God break through in the impossible situations in our individual lives and to see God break through in the mission and vision of His church called Cedar Creek. And so before I start this morning, I just want to be very clear about something. I want you to understand that you are not here today by accident. It's not a matter of random chance or luck. God brought you here today for a specific purpose. God brought you here today in this season of seeking breakthroughs for us as a church, not so you could sit as a spectator and watch God break through in other people's lives, not so you could watch God answer other people's prayers. He brought you here today because He wants to break through in your life. That's why you're here. And my hope, my desperate prayer for you is that you would not allow apathy or distraction or fear or doubt to cause you to miss out on the breakthrough that God is wanting to do in your life. And that you would choose to be an active participant in the breakthrough that God wants to do in and through His church. So I hope you understand that. I hope you will believe in that enough to take some steps and see God break through in your life. Now, if you'll take out your message notes, you'll see our, our theme verse for this journey is from the Old Testament book of Ezra. During the days of Ezra, the people of God were desperate for a breakthrough. They were facing impossible odds. They needed a miracle. They needed God to break through in order to get through to where he wanted them to be. And I want you to look at what they did when they needed a breakthrough. Ezra 8.23, it says, So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And notice this last line, And he and God heard our prayer. And that, folks, is exactly what we're doing. Entering a time of earnest prayer and fasting to see God 
breakthrough in our lives. And to help us do that, we've made four commitments, sort of four things we have decided to do together. One is to commit to our connections to each other. We learned last week that breakthroughs start in the strongholds that God provides, those safe, secure places. And that the stronghold that God has provided for all of us is our church, not the building, but the family, the people around us. And so we're committed to connecting on Sunday mornings for corporate worship, but more importantly, to connect in home group, to be a stronghold, a launching pad for the breakthroughs that God wants to bring. And then secondly, we are all praying for five minutes, three times a day, five minutes in the morning, Five minutes at midday and five minutes in the evening. We're all doing this individually and we are using our hand as a memory tool to remind us of five things that we're all praying for together. We are, as David said, we are stretching out our hands to God in prayer and so we're just using this mnemonic device to give us five specific things we're all praying about. So for those of you who were here last week, this is a pop quiz. Grades will be taken. It does count and it will count towards your final grade. So let's go through these. First of all, the thumb reminds me to pray for my what? Shout it out. Heart. Remember when you pray, the thumb is the closest finger to your heart, so that just reminds us, pray, God, mold and shape my heart. Because everything starts with our heart. It's internal, not external. And then next is the index finger, the pointer finger, and that reminds us to pray and ask God for what in our lives? Shout it out. Direction, right? Pointing. Direction. Then the middle finger, and no, this is not to remind us to pray for our enemies. <laughs> this is, or to communicate with our enemies. This is the tallest finger, so it reminds us to pray for our what? Influence, right? We all have influence in our lives, our homes, our offices, our schools. So we're asking God to help us use our influence to make an impact in the lives of others. And then our ring finger reminds us to pray for our what? Relationships. Very good. Pray that God would be honored and glorified in our relationships. And then the last, the smallest, the littlest finger reminds me that I need to pray for my what? My needs, right? It's not that you shouldn't pray for your needs. God says ask. And he will meet our needs. It's just not the biggest and it's not the most important thing that we pray for. Now, in addition to these, uh, all of us praying five, for five minutes, three times a day, we're also gathering on Sunday mornings at 8.30 for a time of corporate prayer. For just 10 or 15 minutes at 8.30 on all of our campuses. And this morning was the first morning of that. And I'm going to tell you, I was blown away. I was hoping maybe across all three campuses, 50 people would show up or something. We had hundreds of folks across all of our campuses show up and pray this morning together. So we're doing that corporate prayer. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And if you missed that, I know you're 11 o'clockers. We're doing it again next Sunday, 8.30. Wear a sweatsuit, put on a hat, show up, pray, go get some breakfast, come back at, you know, 10 minutes till 11. You can do it. It's, it's awesome. It was an amazing time. 
And then the last thing, the last thing that we're doing together is fasting. Now, that kind of always freaks people out. Always used to freak me out, you know, people fasting. That just seemed kind of a weird thing to do. But what we discovered is this is not about us sacrificing so, you know, God would do what we want. It's not some kind of arrangement with God. It's not some religious exercise. It is an intentional choice to take the focus off of ourselves just a little bit so we can focus on God just a little more. So we've chosen Mondays. Mondays are our fast day. Some of you are fasting for the whole 24 hours. God bless you. I love you. You're super spiritual. Some of us are just fasting during the daylight hours. Some people are just fasting from a meal. Some are just fasting from, you know, maybe one type of food. Please hear me. It's not about what you fast from or how long you fast. It's about what you are fasting for. It's about getting our eyes off ourselves, our own comfort, and getting our eyes more on God and what He is doing in our world and in our lives. So listen, if you missed last week, probably the best thing you can do, just take some time this week, go on our website, watch last week's message, because not only will you understand what we're doing, but more importantly, you'll understand why, the why behind this 21 days of prayer and fasting. So that makes sense, you with me? Getting everybody caught up, awesome. So here's what I want to do today. I want to focus specifically on prayer. And you know why? Because there's always a connection between God's power and our prayer. You've heard me say this before. Where there is much prayer, there is much power. Where there is little prayer, there is little power. Where there is no prayer, there is no power. In fact, if you look at Jesus' life on this earth, you see a great example of that truth. Obviously, Jesus was a man of tremendous power. You know why? Because he was a man of consistent prayer. Here's how I know that is so true about his life. Jesus' disciples, his followers, his closest friends, those 12 men who spent three and a half years with him, 24-7, always together, during that three and a half years they were with Jesus, I mean, they saw Jesus do amazing things. They saw Jesus preach unbelievable messages to massive crowds of people, and yet never once did they say, Jesus, teach us how to preach. They heard Jesus teach day after day in ways that amazed and astounded. Nobody had ever heard anybody teach the way Jesus did, and yet the disciples never said, Jesus, teach us how to teach. They saw Jesus perform miracles, walk on the water, heal the sick, give sight to the blind. They even saw him raise dead people back to life. And yet they never asked Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. In fact, there's only one thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do. It's Luke 11, verse 1. And look at what it says. Lord, they said, teach us to what? Teach us to pray. Why with all the skills and all the things that Jesus could do, why would they want Jesus just to teach them how to pray? Because they knew that's where the power came from. They knew that the breakthrough power in Jesus' life was from the breakthrough prayer life that he had. That's why they said teach us to pray. And guess what? Jesus granted their request. On two occasions, he taught them specifically about how to pray. One of those times was in direct response to this request in Luke 11. 
They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, all right. When you pray, say this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He gave them a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But did you know Jesus also taught the disciples about how to pray during one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught about prayer. And that's the lesson from Jesus I want us to look at this morning. Not because the Lord's Prayer is bad or not a good thing to learn from. I want us to look at this part of the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching on prayer, because it's all about praying with confidence. And while I know there are some of you here who are confident prayers, you're comfortable praying, you pray all the time, here's what I know. Most of us are not. Most of us are uncomfortable with prayer. We're full of doubts that there's some confusion about prayer. We're not sure if we know the right words to use. We don't know if we can ask for this thing or how we should ask or what we should ask for. And so because of that doubt and confusion, most of the time we just choose not to pray. But during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clears up the doubt and confusion about prayer and gives us four reasons why we can pray with confidence. And he does this with a beautiful word picture of children requesting of their parent to have a need met. And so what I want to do is walk through this little five-verse excerpt from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And look at four reasons why whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you can pray with confidence. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn, click there. It'll be great. If not, it's cool. All five of these verses are printed right on your program so you can follow along. So let's dig in. Number one. The first reason Jesus says we can pray with confidence is because when it comes to prayer, it's not about my words, it's about my relationship. Prayer is not about the words that I pray, it's about the relationship with the one I'm talking to. You, you need to understand that the power of our prayers is not built on the quality of our words, but the depth of our relationship to the one we're talking to. And here's the amazing thing about our relationship with God. It is not built on what we have done or haven't done. It's built on who He is. That's why in both of Jesus' lessons to the disciples on prayer, in both of them, He shocks not only them, but He shocks the world when He tells them, when you pray, Talk to God and call him your father. For them, that would have been when Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, when you pray, say this, our Father who art in heaven, they were like, what? What are you talking? It's hard for us to understand how shocking this would have been. Because for us, we've always grown up kind of knowing you can pray, our Father. But for any Jew, worth his salt, you would never think of talking to God that way. In fact, a good Jew would never even say out loud the name of God. The name that God gave Moses on the mountain, tell the people, I am that I am, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. They would never even say that. 
In fact, if they had to write it down, they would leave out the vowels. That's how afraid they were of offending God, of seeming too familiar with God. And yet Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father. In fact, he doesn't just do that in the Lord's Prayer. He does it in the Sermon on the Mount, second part of verse 11. Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Your conversation with God is never meant to be some rote religious experience or ritual. It's meant to be an intimate, loving, casual conversation with your Father. Right? Little kids don't wonder, I wonder how I should ask Dad this. Let me get my words right. Mom, how should I speak to Dad? No, they just run up and say, Daddy, can I? Daddy, will you? In the best words they know for where they are in their development. Wherever you are spiritually, you can come to your Father. Now listen, I understand this image of God as Father is not helpful for some of you. Because for some of you, your earthly father is the source of much of your pain and brokenness and grief. And so if you start thinking about God as father, you start wondering, well, you know, is he moody? Because with my dad, I never knew if he was going to hug me or slug me. Is, is he, you know, always expecting more? Does he abandon when you need him most? That's the image you have of God. That's why in both cases, Jesus doesn't say approach God as Father. He always says as your heavenly Father. You know why? Because the Greek word heavenly, that's the word the, New Testament, the language the New Testament was written in. That Greek word heavenly literally means perfect. Your perfect father, understand your earthly father was not perfect. None, none of our fathers were perfect, and none of us are perfect fathers, but our heavenly father is perfect. And Jesus said, just come to your loving daddy, because he loves you. You don't have to worry about what kind of mood he's in. You don't have to worry about whether you've earned his love. Just come to him. Confidence in prayer starts with understanding exactly who it is you're talking to. And then number two, the second reason Jesus says we can have confidence in our prayers is because my persistence is more important than my position. My persistence is more important than my position. What does that mean, Philip? It means that God cares more about your pursuit of him than your current spiritual position with him. And that's good news. Because we all go through spiritual ups and downs, right? We all have those times, those seasons where we're really close to God and we feel really close. And then we have those seasons where it feels like God is a million miles away. That we've drifted. Or for some of us, there are times when there are barriers, there are walls between us and God. Maybe because of something we're doing or maybe it's because something God didn't do for us. He didn't heal that loved one. He just let him die. He didn't stop that car wreck. He let that cancer come. And all of a sudden, there's a wall between us and God. But what Jesus is saying is don't allow your current position with God to interfere with your pursuit of God. And notice how he says this. It's kind of subtle. Verse 7, Jesus says about prayer, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be open to you. Now that's a familiar verse. You know, you put that up on your Facebook wall. I've seen it on posters. I've seen it on on t-shirts. Many of us are familiar. But have you ever thought about what that means? Why would Jesus say that? Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Let's drill down on that for just a minute. Let's unpack that. To understand this sentence, like any other sentence, you got to start with the verb. Jesus actually uses three verbs in this sentence. Ask, seek, and knock. Those three verbs have two things in common. One, and this is kind of lost in translation, but in the original Greek language, these three verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are in what is known as the present participle form. And I had to look that up because I hate in English too. But what that means is it's an ongoing action. It's not, just, it's not in the past. It's not just in the present. It's not just in the future. It's ongoing. So a better translation of this probably in English would be keep on asking and he will give you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking. See, it's all about persistence. These verbs are all verbs about being persistent. But the second thing these three verbs have in common is at their heart, they all mean basically the same thing. They're all about a person making a request, looking for something, going after, moving towards something, right? Ask, seek, knock. In fact, if you look at the first three letters of those three verbs, ask, seek, and knock, what do they spell? I have to help you with it. A-S-K. What does it spell? Ask, right? Then they're all about asking. They're just different ways of asking. In fact, the only difference between asking, seeking, and knocking is the position of the person making the request. That's the only difference. So Jesus is basically saying three things. Write these down. One, when I'm close to God, I just ask. When I'm close to God, right? Like as a little kid, if you're sitting in the same room with your dad and you want to ask him for something, you don't write him a letter. You don't send him an email. He's right there. You just ask. Pops, can I borrow the car keys? You know, Pops, can I have 10 bucks? You just ask when you're close. Problem is, we're not always close, right? If I'm a kid and my dad is not in the room with me, does that mean I can't ask? Well, I'm not close. I can't ask. No, it just means I got to do something. That's the second thing Jesus says. When I'm not close to God, I must seek. Now when I want to ask my dad, and he's not in the room with me, i got to get up and go looking. Is he in the garage? Is he out in the yard? Is he at work? I am seeking. doesn't mean you can't ask. just means you got to seek. But then there's sometimes it's not that he's not just in the same room. It's that there's a wall between us. We've built a wall for whatever reason. And Jesus says, when there's a barrier, I need to knock. When there is a barrier, I need to knock. See, I remember as a kid, we kind of had a rule in my house. Door closed, knock. Don't just bust in, right? If my, my dad was in his room or if we went up to his work and his office door was closed, I couldn't just bust in. I had to knock. Can I come in, Dad? Yeah, come in. Doesn't mean he didn't love me. Doesn't mean I couldn't just bust in because I had been bad. It just meant I needed to knock. I need to keep on knocking when there's a barrier. Let me ask you a question. If I took you to my neighborhood and we stood out in my street and I said, you see that house across the street? 
There's a million dollars in that house just for you. And all you got to do to get that million dollars is to get somebody to come and answer the door. All you got to do is get them to open the door. Well, you wouldn't go up to that door and go, "Mm, okay, I guess nobody's here, never mind. No, you'd be banging that door down. If you understood the value of drawing closer to God and the power, the breakthrough power for your life, you would keep, I understand the wall is thick. I understand you got questions, you got anger, you got fears and frustration with God. I understand all of that. I'm just saying don't stop knocking. Because he always answers. In fact, look at verse 8. Jesus says, for everyone, everyone, everyone. Do you know what it is in the Greek? Everyone. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everybody who knocks, the door will be open. I don't know what your current spirit spiritual position is with God I'm just begging you as your pastor as your friend as somebody who loves you and cares about you don't let that position you're in today prevent you from pursuing God in prayer whether you can ask seek or knock do what you got to do because you are welcome in your father's arms then number three the third reason Jesus says we can pray with confidence is we can know that God will never give us anything unhelpful or harmful. God will never give us anything unhelpful or harmful. You've heard that saying before, right? Be careful what you wish for. Why? Because you just might get it. You've heard that? So we take that and we apply it to our prayer life. Well, I don't know if I want to pray about that, because what if God gives it to me and it's bad, right? You know, I like that job, but I don't want to pray about that job because what if God gives me that job and turns out to be a bad job? I don't want to pray about her saying yes or us being able to get married because, you know, if I pray that prayer and God answers yes, and then what if it's a bad relationship? So sometimes we're afraid to pray for things because we're afraid God might give them to us. Jesus says, look, don't ever worry about that. You don't have to worry about it. And I love the way he does it. He uses humor. You know, Hebrew humor is humor by exaggeration, right? Just kind of exaggerative humor. So look at what Jesus says in verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? You need to understand, in the Sermon on the Mount, that was a laugh line. The whole crowd would have laughed, right? But this image of a little child coming up, Mommy, I'm hungry, and Mama going, Here, just eat this stone. Chew on a rock, kid. That'll take care of you. That's stupid. So Jesus said, You don't have to worry about that because God will answer your prayers always in the way that are most helpful for you. Pray whatever you want. Ask for whatever you want in confidence that know that God will always give you what is helpful. In fact, in verse 10, Jesus takes this thing to a whole nother level. Look at what he says. Or if they, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Now we're not just talking about something that's not helpful. Now we're talking about something that can hurt you. And Jesus said, God's not going to give you things that are going to hurt you just because you pray for them. 
I was reading that this week, and it reminded me of my fa- one of my favorite movies. It's A Christmas Story. Nobody knows it by that name. Everybody calls it the BB gun movie. Right, you know, the, with Ralphie? And it, what does he want? A BB gun? That's all he wants for Christmas. And everybody tells him, you can't have a BB gun because you'll do what? You'll shoot your eye out. But then on Christmas morning, they give him the BB gun, and guess what? He almost shoots his eye out, right? That's bad parenting. And some of us think God's going to treat us that way. All right, I'll give you a BB. I'll teach you a lesson. I'll answer your prayer. I'm going to give you what you want just to punish you. Jesus said, no, no. God doesn't give gifts to try to teach you a lesson. He'll never give you anything unhelpful or harmful. In fact, look at verse 11. Jesus said, so if you sinful people, you sinful parents, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly, your perfect Father give what? What does it say? Give good gifts to those who have good behavior. Right? That's what it says? No, it says give good gifts to those who only ask for the right things. No, it says he will give good gifts to those who ask, who keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Bottom line, you can pray with confidence because God always answers prayers in a way that is best for you, even if you don't think it is. And then number four, the fourth reason Jesus says we can pray with confidence is because God wants me to give to others what I want to get. God wants me to give to others what I want to get. How many of you know the golden rule? Let me see your hands. You know the golden rule. You've heard of it before. All right. You raised your hand and said yes. This is a little integrity test. The golden rule says do unto others what? As you would have them do unto you. You do know it. You are an honest group of people. But let me ask you this. Do you know where it's found in the Bible? Would you be surprised to find out that Jesus gives the golden rule as a part of this teaching on prayer? That's where it's found. Look, look, verse 12. Jesus says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Why is Jesus talking about that here? In fact, that's so weird that some translations actually separate verse 12 from verses 7 through 11. They make it look like it's a separate thing. Like Jesus is talking about prayer and then all of a sudden goes, oh, and by the way, treat people the way you want to be treated. And now back to prayer, no. But in the, the actual transcripts, the most accurate translation is to understand that verse 12 is a part of this teaching on prayer. So why would Jesus do that? Why would he connect our treatment of others to the topic of prayer? I thought about that a lot this week. And I think maybe two reasons. These are the ones I could come up with. Two reasons I think he makes this a part of a teaching on prayer. One is because it does kind of make it easier for you to pray for others. Right? You know, people will come up to me and ask for prayer for something like, you know, my wife left, I'm dying, I can't, you know, some huge thing that I've never been through. And they'll say, would you pray for me? And I'm like, yeah. And then I'm thinking, I don't know what to pray for that. I've never been through that. Jesus said, don't worry about that. Just pray for them the way you would want others to pray for you if you were going through that. So it does help you kind of know how to pray for other people. But, but there's more to that. 
See, I think the biggest reason why Jesus makes the golden rule a part of a teaching on prayer is because the golden rule makes us more like him. Living by that principle makes us more like him. And isn't that the purpose of prayer? Right? The purpose of prayer is not to bend God's power to our will. It's to bend our will to God's heart. And that opens the door for God's power to flow through in his life. Right? God's not going to bless me to be more selfish. God's not going to be bless me, bless me if I'm, it's all about me. I don't care about others. I'm not treating others well. I think one of the best ways you can experience a breakthrough from God is to pray for God to break through for others. Right? You need a financial breakthrough? Start praying that God would break through in the financial needs of others around you. You need a breakthrough in your health? Start praying for God to break through in the lives of those others you know who are sick. You need a breakthrough in your marriage? Pray and ask God to break through in the marriages of others who are struggling. There's a great picture of this in the Old Testament book of Job. A lot of y'all are familiar with Job. Job's a guy in the Old Testament who was righteous, an unbelievably great man. And God was blessing him. He was the wealthiest man. He was had an unbelievable life. And then all of a sudden, for seemingly just a dare from Satan, God backs off and lets Satan have his way. And in like 24 hours, Job loses everything. His entire family, children, grandchildren, everybody's wiped out by a terrorist attack. His crops are burned down to the ground. His animals get sick and die. He gets sick almost to the point of death. And then Job has these wonderful friends who come and tell him all the reasons why bad things are happening to him. Well, you're not really a good person. You must have done something wrong. You must not be praying right. You must not be spiritual enough. You must not be giving enough money to the church. They have all these reasons. And Job knows his own heart and he knows God. And he says, I don't understand it, but I know this is not punishment from God. And my faith is so strong. Even if God slay me, yet will I praise him. But making that statement is not when Job got his breakthrough. Do you know when Job got his breakthrough? Look at Job 42.10. It says, when Job did what? Prayed for his friends. The Lord restored his fortune. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Now listen, I am not saying that the secret formula to being blessed by God is to start praying for your friends. If you start praying for others, everything's going to go right for you and you'll get your breakthrough. God is not a genie in a bottle. God does not serve us. We are shaped to serve Him. So I'm not saying God's like a slot machine or a vending machine where, oh, if I pray for others, you know, I'll get all my stuff back. No, what I am saying is that the more unselfish I become, the more God will break through in my life. And I, that's what I want in my life. And that's what I desperately want in your life. And that's what I want to see in the life of our church. So let's pray right now and ask God to do it. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here today and you've always struggled with prayer. You never felt comfortable but now you know 
You can just come in prayer as you are. You don't need smooth words. Doesn't matter if you've not talked to God in 20 years, 30 years. Doesn't matter if you're angry with Him. He's big enough to deal with all that. He loves you. He loves you. And He wants you to passionately pursue Him. Not His gifts. He doesn't want to be your ATM. He wants to be your Father. Would you... Would you just take a moment right now and start by praying for God to break through in the life of somebody you know that's hurting? Who do you know? Who do you know that, like Job, needs a breakthrough? Who do you know that's confused? Would you just pray God break through in their lives? God, make my heart more like your heart. Because I'm just sick of living this selfish life, it's so empty. It's temporarily fun, but it's broken and empty late at night. Would you start focusing and praying outwardly? Would you just keep pursuing? Just keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. And believe like Job, no matter what happens in my circumstances, I will choose to worship you. Father, let that be the prayer of our heart. Let that be the foundation of this church so that we could see a breakthrough that our community and the world could only stand back and go, that's a God thing. We want a breakthrough not for our own glory, not for people to say, wow, that Cedar Creek Church is so great. We want people to say, wow, God, who is this Jesus? I need that. Father, that is our heart's cry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.